You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is August 29th, and yesterday, my daughter's birthday, Atlanta United rallied to defeat DC United 3-2 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It was the first time this season that the Five Stripes were able to complete a rally after the opponent scored first, which is a good thing because the team is likely going to have to keep doing that if it helps to make the MLS playoffs. But with the win, combined with yesterday's other results... Atlanta United is now just three points behind Columbus and Miami, who were in sixth and seventh in the MLS Eastern Conference, which are also the final two playoff spots. Atlanta United has seven games remaining, starting on Wednesday at a Philadelphia team that is just blistering everybody in its path right now, followed by a cross-country road trip to play the Portland Timbers, another team that is playing very, very, very well right now. So if Atlanta United can get two positive results from those two, you got to feel pretty good that it's going to make the playoffs for the fifth time in six seasons. In this podcast, you're going to hear from manager Gonzalo Pineda, attacking midfielder Diego Almada, who had another very solid game. And then a whole bunch of questions for the mailbag from the loyal podcast followers. We've got to come up with a nickname for y'all. I like the Duggettes, but that just seems really, really reverential. And that is not my personality. So we're going to have to come up with something else. If you want to submit your ideas, do it on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Though I have to admit, I don't often check messages on Facebook. I'm more of a Twitter's guy. Or just email me directly at droberson at ajc.com dot COVID stinks dot I hate this dot I want to be done with it, comma, this sucks, comma, dot com. All right, let's go into the game real quick because it was – a decent, well, not a decent game. It was a very well-performed game by the five stripes. The goals, because I know y'all want to hear about the goals, were scored by Alan Franco with a header, his very first MLS goal for the team, assisted by Diego Almada, followed by Joseph Martinez, who came off the bench in the 60th minute and two minutes later was inexplicably left unmarked about seven yards from goal, and he put in a header to tie the game at two. And then Juanjo Parada, with his third goal this season, his third header this season, again assisted by Brooks Lennon in the 69th minute. So all three of Atlanta United's goals came in a 20-minute span, and then the team was able to see out the win. It had 58.9% of the possession, 2.09 expected goals to DC's 1.04, 25 shots, 9 on target, 
which is not a bad ratio, I don't think. Nine shots blocked, passing accuracy of 80.8%, 13 crosses, which is a low number for Atlanta United, all things considered. But it was a very, very good performance. Arahujo led with seven shots. Arahujo tied for the lead with seven shots on target. Tiago Almada and Brooks Lennon tied with five chances created. Tiago Almada led with 28 completed passes in the final third, which is a lot. Arahujo, seven dribbles completed. Santiago Sosa with 11 recoveries. He is really, really starting to become the player that I think Atlanta United thought he would be. He's been very, very impressive for the five stripes. It seems like him kind of playing as a single pivot instead of a double pivot suits him better, especially with Amar Sadich kind of in front of him a little bit. I think Pineda has found the formation and the personnel that he likes. He has said that it typically he likes to have that done by June or July, but because of the, the myriad injuries the team has experienced, it's taken until August. But I think as long as their legs can carry them, this is the lineup you're likely going to see with a few changes each game. You'll see Joseph in the starting lineup in place of Cisneros. You might see Moreno every once in a while in the starting lineup. Things like that. Particularly on Wednesday because it's a Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday rotation for the team. That's a lot to ask, particularly when you're flying across the country. Ronaldo Cisneros led with expected goals of 0.5, followed by Arahujo with 0.45. Martinez was third with 0.27. All right. Let's start to review some of the audio. I was not at the game yesterday because of COVID. Um, I watched from home, which absolutely stinks. I hate watching games from home. I haven't had to do it too often in my career when press boxes have been open. But anyway, the guys there did a fantastic job with their questions. And the first was, now that you've scored more, do you feel the attack is starting to come into form? Uh, well, I expect that. I think... Uh... Yes, it's always good to score many goals, but it's also good that we produce a lot of chances because it's not the same. At times uh, we've been producing a lot of chances and we don't score, and at times we haven't uh, um, trying to to get a lot of chances on goal, and and then you know we don't get that, or sometimes it's, it's different. For me, it's just the performance of the team is is being consistent in the last few games. We've been attacking very well. Obviously, some fragility on the back in certain moments of the game where we concede goals that cost us in certain periods of time. But what I like is the response of the team and we respond attacking and attacking and overwhelming the opponent and, and that's something that I really like. But obviously we will work on the balance of the team and how we can be more solid on the back. I thought that was a good honest answer from Pineda. He's talking about the, the goals DC United scored again. Uh, I think they only had two shots on goal. I need to go back and look. Three shots on goal and two of them went in. This has kind of been the problem, or not kind of, this has been one of the problems Atlanta United has experienced all season. It's something Pineda talked about on Friday. The opponents don't get a lot of chances, but when they do, they typically score. And that kind of goes to the fragility of the defense. It's uh, it's a weird, weird thing. I don't have the, the stats in front of me. It would take a long time to figure out. But I would bet that of the percentage of opponents, or percentage of shots on target that opponents have put, Atlanta United is probably dead last in Major League Soccer in goals allowed, if that stat makes sense. Here's Pineda talking about what the team needs to improve upon heading into a very, very tough game against the Union. 
First of all, it's going to be a very different team with a very different style, different formation, the four diamond two that they know, a player uh, in a very good form like as that. Uh, so I think it's going to be in general uh, a very different game. Also, we're playing away, so we will prepare after I clean my head from tonight. Uh, uh, we will start to prepare next game. We already have an idea, but but we'll prepare. So we need to, to, to focus on us as well because we don't have too much time to focus on the opponent. Uh, and, and I feel like we need to play in our style with a little bit more balance. I felt today was very good. We create way more chances than them. We create, again, uh, more shots, more crosses, more possession. But in certain moments in place, that probably is not a big trend, a, a big threat or a big danger, we are conceding goals. So we need to clean that up a little bit. Uh, but again, I want to focus on the positives, and the positive is the heart and the and the uh, good reaction from my team after conceding goals. We are always trying to attack, um, and that's what I highlight from tonight. And then Pineda was asked about how did the team manage those final moments? Were they trying to get a fourth, or were they just trying to see out the result? You know, obviously we prepare some scenarios for subs, and we have all the bench, and we all of our game changers, and then uh, we try to manage, okay, if we're down what we do, if we are tying what we do, if we are winning what we do. Um, so um, in that scenario we, we knew that probably a little bit more width with uh, Edwin Mosquera, a little bit more creativity with Marcelino in the middle and obviously Joseph's quality on top of the box uh, could have helped. So that's what we did. I think that uh, Marcelino did a great job on on um, uh, putting a little bit more quality in the middle of the park and more attacking-minded football from that part of the field. And then Edwin was very good for me, just he missed the goal, but he was very dangerous in, in, in the limited minutes that he played. And obviously Joseph had two or three chances that you know, we are happy he's, he's getting those. Um, so yes, we tried to throw more of the attacking players we had. And then our two center backs just scoring goals. Uh, um, and, and that's very good because honestly, I'm very happy for them. They train a lot, headers and headers. And they are staying after after the trainings with, with Eugenio training headers and headers and doing a lot of work on directional header uh, from our side to improve on that. And I felt that Alan Franco's goal was outstanding, was a very good goal. Uh, and, and then uh, Purata is having that, you know, tendency to being good areas in those type of crosses. So I'm very happy for both of them, for Joseph's goal, especially because all of those helped the team to win. There you go. And he is right about the center back staying after training to do headers. We see that quite frequently at the media sessions we're allowed to attend. In addition to guys taking penalty kicks, guys taking free kicks, the players do put in the work. It's just the results haven't been what I think anyone expected, but we've gone into the reasons why ad nauseum this season. All right, now we're going to turn to Diego Almada, who has four assists in the past four games. Really, really, like Sosa, becoming the player that Atlanta United thought he would be. And I just wrote about this. You can find it on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. But these these past four results have started to coincide with Almada being used almost primarily and exclusively as the attacking midfielder, Santiago Sosa as the defensive midfielder, and Juanjo Parata and Alan Franco being able to play consistently together as two of the three center backs. When the spine of the team is strong, teams typically win. Philadelphia is a fantastic example of that. Pineda was talking about the diamond midfield, the 4-4-2. They've been able to roll out a consistent lineup, and they've scored 12 goals in their past two games, I think it is, 11 or 12. It's a crazy, crazy number. 
So this is this is very important for Atlanta United. I, I'm going to be curious to see what the lineup is going to be on Wednesday. But turning back to Almada, what did he think of the team's overall performance? I think it was very good. We went for the game at all times. They created a goal out of nothing. They were not creating any chances, and they got that first goal. We were able to react, score a goal right away, and then it happened again, and then we were able to find the third and, and get the victory. All right, that was not Justin. I think that may have been Manny. Uh, who sometimes helps uh, translation. And he's also a very good guy. Thank you for doing that, Manny. And here's Almada talking about if he feels the form of the attack is better. I think we have the ability to score multiple goals. And um, I think this is just the beginning. Uh, once we start scoring more and more, it's just going to happen more often. All right, we're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we'll answer your Many, many questions about the MLS team. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Atlanta United supporters and listeners to this podcast. Only this podcast. If you don't listen to this podcast, we're not giving you anything. If you subscribe today, you will not only get unlimited digital access to the AJC and the Sunday paper for $2.30 a week, but we are also throwing in a special limited edition Atlanta United and Atlanta Journal-Constitution scarf. So sign up now at subscribe.ajc.com slash scarf. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash scarf. And one of our very lovely listeners did subscribe this weekend and told me about it. So that was cool. Now, on to, it's not a mailbag, a mail blog. What do we call? What do we call this? This is another thing I need y'all to uh, help me out with. Give me a name for this thing. Doug's Bag O' Goodies. I like. All right. Greg says, enjoying the podcast and hope you're fully recovered from COVID. I feel recovered, but I keep testing positive. So to heck with COVID. Question, who decides which player takes the free kick? Coaches, players. I know it is situational, but it certainly appeared that Almada and Lennon were in a heated argument about who was going to take a kick about 30 yards out from DC's goal in the second half. Typically, it depends on which side of the field it's on, how close it is to the goal. There's a couple of guys, designated folks, and then they just kind of decide on the field who's feeling it, who's not feeling it, how the angles are going to work. During the game. I don't know if that was a heated argument, um, but, you know, they're professional athletes. They are extremely competitive, but at the same time, they're teammates. They're not going to get, you know, pissy with each other about it. Ben in Philly. Ben always asks questions, and that's very much appreciated, Ben. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to cancel my trip to Philly um, because of this stupid positive test. And I'm really bummed about that because I love, love, love Philadelphia. Ben says, I'm glad you're feeling better. Is it time for Pineda to end the Cisneros experiment as a starter? 
I know Pineda and many supporters value his ability to run in behind the lines, but he just doesn't have it to start match after match. Five of his seven goals have come in two matches against weak back lines, and a 75% Joseph is just more effective than him in front of goal. If the team is going to make the playoffs, they need to let Joseph put the team on his back. And if you are making the trip to Philly on Wednesday and want to grab some coffee, let me know. You know I would, but I think this afternoon I'm going to take one more test. And if it is also a positive, I'm going to have to cancel the trip. And then you'll have Sad Doug on the next podcast. I don't know about this, your your theory about Cisneros. Um, what Cisneros does well is running behind the lines. He taxes the lines. He makes them work. He makes them run. He tires them out. His first touch has been disappointing quite frequently this season, but he is still, I think, the team team's leading scorer in goals, I'm pretty sure, with seven or eight. So I think you continue to use him, but it also depends upon the game situation. I did think that we would see Joseph on Sunday against D.C. United because I assumed that D.C. was going to try to bunker a little bit. And then Joseph is probably a better selection there, but he went with Cisneros, obviously. We'll see what he does against Philadelphia. Philadelphia is not going to bunker. Philadelphia is going to try to press the ever-living crap out of Atlanta United. So I wouldn't be surprised if Cisneros doesn't start again. Pat says, I noticed in the Columbus game that Joseph of old in his short stint. Maybe he got together with Parkey while he was there. Glad to see it again today. Runs were active, and there was only one time he dished off that I felt he should have shot. I remember that instance. The big piece of the puzzle going forward is how much to use him. I appreciate the comeback today, but sure would like to put a few away early and cruise to victory. Yeah, I thought Joseph looked great. He had uh, three shots, one goal, uh, one got blocked, I think. I thought he had a really good game. We have to keep in mind, and this is true of the win and true of everyone's performance, that DC United is the absolute worst team in Major League Soccer. Is likely going to get the wooden spoon given to the team with the fewest points. So you want to, I guess, congratulate the team on the positives, but you have to also put it into the proper context. DC United is a team that had allowed 50, 55 goals, I think, so far this season. Not good. Philadelphia is not going to allow Joseph Martinez to be unmarked in the box. It is not going to allow Alan Franco and Juan Jose Prata, not free headers, but somewhat uncontested headers in the box. So Atlanta United is going to have to keep building on the positives and really shoring up those weaknesses. Josh says, and I do not have any idea if this figure is correct, MLS pays referees approximately $40,000, and top European referees make approximately $200,000. It seems to me MLS could, for a relatively small total investment, have world-class referees calling every match. I think this would really improve the product. You get what you pay for in many areas of life. For $200,000 Per year, you get a lot of competition for those spots. What do you think? Also, thanks for your reporting, sir. I finally subscribed to the AJC this weekend. Cheers. So now my, my first question is, why haven't the rest of you finally subscribed to the AJC? I could be a millionaire by now. Come on. That's me hitting the table, knocking on wood. Subscribe. $2.30 a week. I've read that promo, I think, one billion and three times during the history of this podcast. I need to see y'all doing that. I got kids to put in college. I've got retirement dreams. Come on, people. This is not a COVID fever dream I'm having right now. So anyway, yes. Well, there are a few hurdles to this. Number one, work permits, work visas, certifications for the FIFA region the referees are working in. 
but I don't think it's a bad idea. Uh, in addition to increasing the salaries that would allow the referees to not have to have second jobs, which some do, most do, it would allow them to fully concentrate on their sport and their avocation. I don't think it's a bad idea. And with that TV money coming in, you'd like to think that in the next CBA between the referees and the league, that they might be able to uh, make some positive changes that would positively impact the game. We saw the Cincinnati-Columbus game, how it was affected by poor decisions. We've seen Atlanta United games, both positively and negatively affected by poor decisions. It would be nice if the quality of the officiating became slightly more consistent. That's not to say that every game is officiated poorly. It, this, that's not even remotely close to true. But it does seem like there are some key moments and some key games that probably could have been done a little bit better. Adam says, you've offered lately that Atlanta should pay, play either a counterattacking style or go all in on attack. Today felt like an attempt at the latter, and for about 30 minutes, the Benz was very reminiscent of 2018. I'm not convinced that Atlanta has the horses to do that against, say, Philly or the Pigeons, but it will at least be entertaining for the rest of the season. <laughs> Given Atlanta's situation, how much of Pineda's messaging this week will be about pride in the sides fighting versus reminding them of the lingering errors that need to be fixed? Well, I think you've already heard from him about that. Does he try to do anything different for Philly or does he fear any changes that might stifle momentum? No, I don't think you're going to see any changes. I think this is the formation. This is mostly the lineup. This is the dice he's going to roll, and I think that's the smart thing to do. Regarding coaching at this level, does Pineda have players working to address their individual issues, like Arahujo's finishing, Mosquera's second touch, or are players too proud to be seen doing individual drills? No, man. No, that's, that's not a good insinuation. No, the players work on their finishing all the time. As far as second touch, I, I don't know how much, how many minutes the team has spent to Rabona's and and playing things like soccer, ping pong, or footy pong, or, or soccer, volleyball, all these things that are designed to improve touch. Uh, but they spend a lot, a lot of time. With young players in particular, they're going to get excited, and sometimes that touch is going to let them down. They've got to build those minutes on their resume so that they can calm down, they can think clearly, and go forward. Um, you know, I've been a little down on Mascara, but he really has come in and been a difference maker, or potential difference maker in the past few games. So I'm excited to see what he can do as he continues to gain minutes. A few personnel questions. Barring injury, will it be Rios Novo the rest of the way? Yes. Ditto regarding Sadich? I think so. Any word about Robinson's recovery, both physically and mentally? I just wrote about that last week, my man. On, uh, I think it was Gonzalo Pineda provides several injury updates, but it's in that link. Safe to assume he should not be regarded as a starter for week one next year. Oh, I don't know about that. He's walking. He's doing some slight jogging. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not a starter. But Atlanta United tends to typically play it really, really safe with players. So we'll see. But I wouldn't be surprised. Lennon and Almada seem to be at odds over who should take a free kick in the second half. Why is that role not predetermined before the match? I covered that with an earlier question, but I earlier answer, but I appreciate the question. Rob says, looking at the six teams ahead of us who are competing for the final three playoff spots, I figure we're probably late enough in the season to start looking at who plays each among those other six clubs to see how many points are guaranteed to drop ahead of us. Minimum three if one of them wins, four if they draw with both dropping two points. Here's what I found. Columbus versus Miami on August 31st. Miami versus Columbus on September 13th. Orlando versus Toronto 
on September 17th, Toronto versus Miami on September 30th, Miami versus Orlando on October 5th, Orlando versus Columbus on October 9th. That's six matches, meaning a minimum of 18 points dropped and a maximum of 24 points dropped between the clubs in the 510 spots in the standings. But that's also points won. So teams that are within three points. Atlanta's schedule is no slouch down the stretch either. With three six-pointers against those clubs, two versus Philly and one versus NYCFC. But given how many points they are guaranteed to drop ahead of us, it's hard to not like where we're at considering the season we've had. Things could be much, much worse. What do you make of all this? The thing that I make of it is Atlanta United has yet to win two consecutive games this season. Atlanta United has, I think it's just one win against a team above the playoff line right now, maybe two and a whole lot of games remaining against teams above the playoff line. And it is yet to put together a performance in which you would say the offense and the defense were very, very good, in my opinion. So I think the probability of the team making the playoffs has improved. Am I still willing to say they're a lot to make the playoffs? No, I'm not. And then Rob with the second question. How beautiful was it to see Joseph out there playing like Joseph again today? Sure, it was against D.C., but there was a swagger, in all caps, to his attack that we haven't seen often and has come back from all these injuries. I, for one, hope the naysaying supporters will show the King more grace and respect moving forward. Whether he returns to form or never scores another goal for this club, he's given us 100% of everything he has in his tank from day one and continues to do so just as he promised. There you go. Vern, who I think is a first-time question asker, why does Raul Godinho continue to sit on the bench when Rocco continues to allow goals that should be easy saves? Will we ever get to see Raul play? So, you know, I got a few text messages and I saw on the Twitters a lot of people saying that Rios Novo should have done better on, I think it was D.C. United's first goal. I, I don't I don't know. It's hard for me to say that. It was a very fast play. It was a fantastic cross coming in. It was a very good goal. I tend to side with either the other team is trying to score or a defender should have done better than to blame goalkeepers because those things happen so fast. But I don't think you're going to see Godinho play unless Rios Novo gets hurt. Nick says, do you think it's time to start Joseph again? He scored in two of his last three appearances as a sub, and Cisneros seems to always get yanked after an hour due to this. Also, do you think based upon numbers and eye tests, this is at least the seventh best team in the East? I think that Cisneros and Martinez, as I said earlier, have started to uh, develop a, a... Use by Pineda that is suiting the team well. Cisneros makes the defenders work, makes them run with it, with his vertical runs, and Martinez makes them work with his ability to find spaces. It'll flip, I think, from time to time, depending upon how Pineda thinks the defense is going to line up for the opponent. Do I think this is at least the seventh best team in the East? You are what your record says it is. And I just I need to see the team put together a, a consistent performance before I can say that. Chance says, I've noticed a trend that we haven't won or tied a game since early July without a defender scoring a goal. I don't know if that's true. I'll have to go back and look it up, but it's a fascinating stat if true. Do you have any thoughts on this development or is it a random dink I've noticed? Thank you for your ongoing coverage of Atlanta United. Your professionalism and class is much appreciated. Well, thanks, Chance. It's always good 
when a team scores a goal. I don't have this stat, but I would be willing to bet that when a defender scores a goal for an MLS team, they probably get three points like 75% of the time. I have to, I would have to guess because it's unexpected. Henry, friend of the podcast, says, Hey, Doug, I missed you in the press box today. Well, I missed you, Henry. I hope you're feeling better. But in the meantime, here are some questions for your podcast. Henry always asks many good questions. Today was a struggle in the first half against a team that has some of the worst defensive stats in the league. I agree with that. The team even went down twice before bouncing back. How concerning is this, especially as Atlanta prepared to face Philadelphia, a team that put a total of 13 goals past D.C.? I think it's very concerning, my man. Joseph got subbed on, and the team got a much-needed morale boost after going down a goal. Does he start on Wednesday, and could this be the start of the comeback? I think I've answered that one. I just don't know yet. Hypothetical scenario here. Atlanta's got a pretty tough stretch of games coming with away games at Philly and Portland and a home game against Little Italy. Wait, sorry, Toronto. If you were offered four points from those three games, would you take it? No, I would want a little bit more, to be honest with you. I would probably want five points. But four, that'd be okay. I'm assuming you're thinking three from the home and one draw among those two road games. David, and I think this is tongue-in-cheek, says, should we have our defenders start as forwards? They seem to score more than our strikers. At least we got the three points. Who cares if it's from the worst team in the league? And then our last question from another Doug, who I'm betting must be the coolest guy in the world, and he was now an official friend of the podcast, says, two-part question. What does it take to get friend of the podcast designation? Well, I am on Venmo, but I'm not going to tell you my, uh, my handle because I would get fired. Uh, no, just keep sending in questions, and that is all I ask. Would any of Atlanta United's players start for a top team? LAFC, Austin, Philly. We talk a lot about having individual talent, but do we actually? I think you're borrowing that question from probably the Austin LAFC broadcast because they asked that about Austin versus LAFC. I don't really know right now. But I do think that this team has a lot of individual talent. I think Almada could probably start for any of those three teams. But it just all depends upon the system. It all depends upon the, the, the tactics. It all depends upon expectations of the manager. I do think this team, when healthy, has some of the best talent among the league. I would say it's probably top five. It's just been hard to see it because of the lack of consistency because of the injuries. I'm going to be really fascinated to see what happens with this team in the offseason. Only one player is out of contract. Tough decisions are made about Barco, Lopez, some of those guys. Juanjo Parata, Ronaldo Cisneros. But it's going to be a fun offseason. All right, we're going to wrap up the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. I've been talking way more than I want to hear myself talk. You can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. As always, hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones, and y'all take care. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. 
Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.